okay, I'm finally doing this and it's happening. For the past couple of weeks, I thought, what am I going to do for the intro? Why even think about that? Why even have to make something sound so prepared or so rehearsed? So here I am just doing it. And the intro is my voice. I'm not going to go into details. I'm not going to take something out of my CV. I'm not going to pluck and highlight, but here I am. And I finally got this thing done. So here's, I guess, the tip of the day for those who want to get their voice out. Don't spend time with gear, equipment, and software. Just do it. Welcome to Hong Kong EZL. Scene one, Apple, take one. You're listening to Hong King. Scene one, Apple, take two. Welcome to Hong Kong ESL. I always wanted to teach abroad. Ever since my brother came back from Japan in 1999, he was teaching students out there at a high school and he looked like a new man. He lost weight, his face was glowing, and he had nothing but enjoyable things to share that were both entertaining and enlightening. Whether it was the relationships that he built naturally or simply the dynamics that took place in the classroom. And of course, there was a few things that he mentioned about how perhaps the locking of horns with other colleagues who perhaps weren't on the same page in an ethical sense, but most of it was positive. So ever since then, I thought, well, when is it my turn? And I never really took that step forward until many years later. And it wasn't until I met my now wife, then girlfriend, who in 2007 was there to simply bring up my spirits. And when we met, there was a whole new thing to explore. Less than one year into our relationship, she received an offer from her job to go abroad. Now, she was always traveling to Hong Kong anyway. So the logic of it was, well, be relocated out there and you can open up the office for her cosmetic company. And she was thrilled. And frankly, I didn't think twice about it. I think there was some sheepishness when she approached me at first. And when those words came out of her mouth about relocating to Hong Kong, I was elated because I got flashback to 1999 when my brother came back. So this was my chance. This was my opportunity to do such, to get that experience teaching in a whole different culture and to fully immerse myself. So originally we were only going out there for two years and now it's now 2020 and it's been 10 years. So what I'll do is throughout subsequent episodes, I will trickle in some information in regards to what compelled us to stay longer. There are a lot of things going on right now, things that need to be mentioned this will not be a podcast that centers on politics for any discussion. With environmental conditions as they are, with a self-imposed order, 
you know, different countries have different regulations, different states in the U.S. as well. And with that, people can't help but see that their news feeds are filled with anger and people going back and forth about what their views are on the situation. And now, as I do this podcast, we are just a couple weeks into the riots that initiated in Minnesota. So what I want to say to you is, I am not going to include any political stance of mine. I'm as apolitical as they come. What I will do is mention things that pertain to the topic at hand, especially when it comes to environmental conditions. And there are, beyond what's happened recently since January with the pandemic, but prior to that, June of last year in Hong Kong, as you know, that there have been protests. So I just think that what it comes down to when these things happen, we can't shield our children. We can't divert the topic when a child raises their hand and asks a question, why such and such happened, or why were there protesters in the road that blocked the bus and made me late to school? Why, when I went down the street, did I see lines of secondary kids holding signs up why are they allowed to do that? They're not even adults yet. So these are questions that are going to be inevitably thrown our way as teachers. So Hong Kong culture is one of the most beautiful things that I've ever experienced. And when I came to Hong Kong, it was frustrating. It's a bustling city. There is not much space anywhere. There's pollution and there are people that need to get where they're going. And sometimes that means they're not paying attention. Did that, to me, reflect what the culture was? Admittedly, yes. I thought, this is how it is. And I've never been to New York. I've been to San Francisco. I live in Los Angeles County and then moved to Orange County. I'm fairly familiar with busy cities. So with that said, my impression was that this is Hong Kong. Do I find it annoying? No, I respect the busy lifestyle that propels people, but it's a very busy city and has always been. But at first, my impression was just that. Oh, I can't be here. But mind you, I was in the heart of Hong Kong and things seemed just so extraordinarily busy that I wouldn't be able to adjust in a couple months, much less than two years, which was the original time that my wife's company had stipulated for us. So I say that because it's quite simple to think of environmental conditions as representative of that culture or of that city or of that country. And I had to slap myself for thinking that way. My girlfriend had to put me in check. She had to remind me. I seem like the entitled white guy going around complaining and wincing and using overly dramatic gestures when I saw something that I didn't like, whether it was cue cutting. And mind you, I'd never even used the word cue before coming to Hong Kong. I just said a line. And these things collectively were making me into someone that I knew that I shouldn't be. But it wasn't until at least a year later that I was able to see how this is something, this environment here is something that's not only going to be my home for the next two years, or longer perhaps, it's going to be something that molds me, both professionally and personally. So I come from a background of working with children. Previously, I worked at a boys' home in Laverne, California. And during that time, 
I was able to see anxiety-ridden kids anywhere between ages 7 and 19. And sometimes at a point where the system let them down and they shouldn't be there. Some are kids that are exemplary. Some should have been there. But some were smart enough to realize that these decisions that I made were the wrong ones and now I'm paying the price. And then, of course, there are some that no fault of their own had to be placed there because of environmental circumstances, mostly domestic. So as the years went by, I was able to acquire a skill set that you normally don't pick up at a job, but it's the skill set of negotiation. And I learned that intonation is such an important part of everyday life. And mind you, back then, I wasn't even thinking about fulfilling my dream of teaching abroad. I was simply desiring to just adjust my way to be able to communicate not just negotiation skills to maybe de-escalate a situation at the boys' home, but simply to address people in a manner that allows them to look up and actually pay attention to the person. And mind you, that's not for me to say that I am going to demand attention or look at me. It was simply for the reason of showing my appreciation for those people that sometimes, I would say maybe not even sometimes, quite often are unsung heroes at the front counter, the grocery store, the receptionist at the bank, people who just simply are almost cornered in into a nine to five of monotony that they deserve to be addressed in a way that tells them, without even saying it, that tells them with intonation that they're doing a pretty darn good job. So when a teacher is in front of a classroom, especially when there's more students in the classroom, it's almost instinctive in our hearts to sound a little authoritative because you want to project your voice and you want to have the attention and you don't want to have any kind of downtime. So what I've learned in Hong Kong is that intonation is everything. The quieter you speak, the more attention that you command, the lower your voice is, the more eyes that come your way without breaking a gaze because they're in astonishment that there's someone using voice and not all the time pleasant, but using a voice that suggests that that student can be encouraged with the sound of my voice and not necessarily what comes out of my mouth. Now, some of you are probably thinking right now that, of course, the locals, they see a foreigner, they're going to perk up. But there are plenty of foreigners out here from all over the world that come to Hong Kong. Hong Kong is an international city. It attracts people from all over the world. People apply from all over the world to have a job, even in a tutorial center, or simply to immerse themselves both in the culture and in the education field out here in Hong Kong. And with that said, these kids are used to it, but not everyone has that tone of voice that suggests that they are compassionate. So there's gonna be times where there's frustration. There are gonna be times where there's other students who don't necessarily wanna pay attention because simply you are too nice. They think that, well, I can test this teacher to see how nice he or she can be by doing this or that, because it doesn't seem like this teacher is going to be the kind that will actually reprimand me in front of the class. And that's where we need to take our skills, that training, 
and use it to great effect and combine it with an authority that's not too hard and yet not too soft. One of the things that I've observed in Hong Kong when teaching a student, especially on a Monday, is the amount of exhaustion in their face. But this is the norm out here with electronic devices everywhere, with computer screens abound, especially now during the pandemic. Students are watching one YouTube video and before you know it, they're watching 20 YouTube videos. And they'll be honest with you. They'll tell you why. They will not lie. But oftentimes, they will blame the nanny for allowing them to do it. When they come to the classroom tired, there's nothing we can do other than make a light joke about it. So what I have done is make light of it without embarrassing the child. And what that often does is puts a smile on their face because they know that I'm not singling them out. And I certainly have a smile on my face when I'm mentioning it. And when the other kids, of course, laugh at it, then when it comes their turn, when they come in tired, they can see how it goes. So chances are knowing that they're going to get a little bit embarrassed on that Monday or whatever day, mostly Mondays though, that it's going to be their turn. So out of all my experiences as a behavioral specialist at the boys' home for 12 years, there was so many instances I can't even begin to count where things were so out of control to the point where I couldn't manage it. I needed a team. There was no way, even with plenty of skills, even with years under my belt of dealing with situations and de-escalating that I wasn't equipped. I couldn't handle it one-on-one. There were situations that were so rough and so extreme that I thought, I'm going to put my hands up in the air the next time this happens and I'm going to quit. I stuck with it, obviously. But the point is, is that coming to Hong Kong and seeing how night and day with behavior, that told me that that those teachers who perhaps are singling out students for being a little on the naughty side and maybe doing it a little bit unfairly, haven't seen what I've seen. So when I came to Hong Kong and I was told before my class, for example, say the admin or the reception girl told me, we have a new student. Let's say it's Darla and she's a little on the naughty side and she does this and she likes to sing in class and she likes to play on her chair and move around. And I'm thinking to myself, That's something that I can handle in a snap because I've seen, can't say I've seen the worst of the worst, but I've seen some of the worst situations, even after having compared with other people's situation in a similar field, I've seen some of the worst situations that have actually helped me to adjust my approach when it comes to teaching and when it comes to everyday life. So those students, their behavior to me was just wonderful. A little naughtiness here and there but nothing to scold the child for. Because in my mind, I was reminding myself how much and how often I've seen cases where it was a hundred times worse. So last summer when the protests were at their worst, things were getting more difficult to handle, whether it's a commute to work or simply safety and making sure that family and friends and of course students were safe on their way to school and even around their homes when some of the protests were fully concentrated. It was a priority to make sure that those kids would stay safe by staying indoors. So the way I looked at that situation was 
that it is a great thing. Close the schools. Make sure kids are at home safe. And kids, we, we think to ourselves, well, kids don't feel stressed because all they have to do is study, come home, maybe do a few chores, go to sleep, wake up, and go to school. But the environmental factors were causing stress to the point where kids just didn't understand. That's what the stressful element was to them, not understanding. So last summer when the protests were at their worst, things were getting more difficult to handle, whether it's a commute to work or simply safety and making sure that family and friends and of course students were safe on their way to school and even around their homes when some of the protests were fully concentrated. It was a priority to make sure that those kids would stay safe by staying indoors. Make sure there is not an accident. Could be an accident that happens that was because of another accident. Not exactly being able to adapt to the magnitude of the protest. So with that, kids often ask questions, as I mentioned before. When they do that, their curiosity is unbridled, and they simply just want to learn more about what's going on around them. Not simply because they want to know all the bad stuff happening or who got hurt during this time when everyone was at lunch. It was about understanding more about what they can do during that time of unrest. Young learners yearn for a certain amount of recognition, especially when they see their environment changing. And when it changes, they ask questions. Whether it's seeing a group of teenagers clustered somewhere where they never saw them before, or whether it's a change in lifestyle. Perhaps the parents, one of the parents lost their job and they have to adjust and they are no longer of means as they were before. Most people may rely on using public transportation. I know I do although there was the temptation to get a car in the beginning, but there's simply no need for it. People sometimes forget the fact that it is entirely unnecessary to think along those terms of what's going to be essential for today's accomplishments, whether it be academic or otherwise. So what can we do when sometimes as teachers, we have our own questions? We want to know what we can do to make things safe for us, but also secure, whether it's short-term or long-term, because we want to be able to continue to be that role model to students so that they can understand that we can hold up strong as well. However, not everyone can do it. I certainly can't. I can't pretend that I just had to walk three miles 
to the subway because the subway right near our flat was demolished by protesters. Or I can't hide the stress or frustration from maybe having forgotten my phone at home, which should be the least of my worries, especially during these times. But kids will notice those moods as they change. And what we should do is explain to them why it is we're feeling a certain way. If somebody asks, not just as our academic self, as a leader slash role model in the classroom, then I think we owe it to our students to provide an explanation, not simply just to outline why you're feeling that way, but so that students can feel the familiarity of having been there as well when things don't go their way or when they're having a rough day. So as everyone feels the bite and the burn from having to file for unemployment, getting their hours cut, spending less time with their kids because they're doing whatever they can to find alternative means for employment or for income, what can we do as teachers or even as non-teachers, as parents, as Joes and Janes, what can we do? Stress exists in many forms, and sometimes it bites us when we least expect it. It could be the tone of voice from the neighbor down the hall. It could be the way your lobby guard looks at you as you walk out your building, or it could be the way your mailman delivered your mail that day. He seemed like he was in a pretty ticked off mood. Why do those things affect us? It becomes a ripple effect. And one thing that I have learned for the past 25 years or even more is that I cannot change how people feel in the moods that spring upon them in an instant. And this is most exemplified when driving. And one thing that I've been able to do consistently is never react when someone gets angry when I'm driving or if there's a situation where they're just simply having a terrible day. They're late to work. Their girlfriend just broke up with them. They lost their money gambling the night before. And they're just taking it out on the next person there. And that's something that we need to illustrate to our students is that sometimes a sibling will do this, or sometimes you may get something lost or stolen, or you did your homework, but you forgot to save it and it got deleted. These things happen. Can we let it roll off our body so easily, just with a snap of a finger? No. Can we understand how to process it from our role models? And not necessarily just teachers, but parents, principals, and also just close family friends. Sometimes we as teachers also have to remind ourselves that we can't fulfill every role. We can't simply be the magic that helps solve all the problems. We can't wear more than one or two hats at one time when it comes to making things more comfortable for our students. But what we can do is lead by example. And sometimes there's the temptation to intervene if there's ever a situation where, say, another colleague, for example, is not the most ethical and you want to kind of give him or her an earful. But sometimes you just have to pick your battles and determine what's best for you, that person, and the people around you. So I grew up in the 70s and 80s 
And my dad always watched great television shows. One was Columbo, which I always remembered at the end. Peter Falk would say, oh, just one more thing. So here's my parting thought, my just one more thing. Teachers often find themselves in strange predicaments when they're challenged. And when we make them, it's so difficult to own up to them. Last week, I had a 12-year-old tell me how embarrassing it was for their teacher when that teacher put the wrong document on the overhead and nobody said a thing in the class because they didn't even know it was the wrong document. And after five minutes of the document being there, the teacher finally noticed it, looked all around the classroom, and blamed the students. Someone actually had the courage to raise their hand and say, how are we supposed to know that was the wrong document? Sometimes it's best to laugh if you make a mistake. And we do multiple times a day. When you make a mistake as a teacher, you have to use the language of the soul, which is humor, to laugh at it. So that's my just one more thing, which I think is going to be something that I'll include on every episode. It may not be all that helpful. It may not even be that current but at least it could be a final thought. Good luck to everyone out there. Keep the education alive and thanks for listening.